I think that the core game that we're here playing is a connection game. We've created a world where we don't remember that we're the same, and that's by intention. And then the game is like to reconnect with ourselves. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person on my own personal journey of self-discovery and personal growth. This is a podcast all about the journey and figuring out what makes us come alive and prioritizing whatever that is every single day. When I started the podcast over two years ago, I thought that I would get the answers externally. And the more conversations I had and the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized that every single answer and all of the truths lie within and in the silence. I know that may sound a bit overwhelming, which is why my mission is to have candid conversations with relatable humans who I feel have truly come alive and get really clear about how they've come home to themselves, as well as share my own discoveries along the way. Welcome to Active Ingredient. My biggest wish for you is that you feel alive and that you tap into your active ingredient every single day. Hello, welcome back to Active Ingredient. I am so happy you're here and I'm so happy you're here for this episode that I am so freaking excited about. I like cannot wait. I'm going to re-listen to this probably several, several times. And it's someone that I actually speak to very frequently because the guest of the show this week is my personal business mindset coach, Ben Easter, who without a shadow of a doubt has completely transformed the way that my mind works. He has expanded my perspective. He's expanded my mind in ways that I didn't even know possible. And this is for sure one of many episodes that we're going to be doing together. And there's just so much value in this one. But I really am so, so, so excited for you guys to hear from him on his journey, on his kind of school of thought on different approaches of shifting mindset and really stepping into our power and into our truth. and. He just really is one of the most incredible people I have ever met. I feel so grateful that he is with me on this path. Um, I'm so grateful to my friends who are also business owners, who I find to be incredibly inspiring, motivating, successful. And they've also been on a journey of building a life that is not to live to work, but instead really just building a life and a business that works to have a very fulfilling and whole life. So I'm just really, really grateful that Ben is in my life for the people that recommended me to work with him. I've been working with him now for, I I believe, six months now. And I started seeing the return on the investment for working with him literally before I even paid my first invoice. In literally the intro call with him, he completely shifted things for me or just opened me to just possibility. And I know that you guys listening are seekers You know that you have this level inside of you that you want to tap into. And he is just one of those people that like when you listen to him speak and things click for you, it just clicks. You can't unsee it. So in this episode, we get into his whole journey. I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but I did want to call out this is Ben's eighth business. And now is when he's feeling like he is in alignment with what he is doing for work. So again, I don't want to spoil this for you because he walks us through how we got here, but I just didn't want to say that in passing. This is his eighth business. So you know that I always talk about just really the journey is the destination. Again, for Ben also. 
in this episode, we get into getting really clear on what your values are, because that is what is driving decisions. Focusing on outcomes versus how things get done. This has been a really big unlock for me in working with him. The power of imitating before innovating. Doubling down on your strengths and going into things with the expectation of failing. And I cannot wait for him to share or for you guys to listen to the story that he shares on this podcast about that. And just so many other incredible, valuable takeaways that I'm not going to bore you in this interview with my interpretation of them. His his directness in this is just so valuable. So I will let you guys to it. I am positive that something in here will shift something inside of you. And again, this is going to be one of many episodes. So if you have any questions for a business mindset coach that you want answers to, please DM me at Active Ingredient on Instagram. We'll definitely answer those questions on a podcast together. So I also just wanted to remind you guys that this is going to be available on here on podcast. And it's also available on YouTube. If you search active ingredient with Sophie wheel, you can see both my face and Ben's face in conversation. And Ben, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. I am so grateful to have you in my life and I'm so grateful to share Ben with all of you listening. I love you guys. I hope you have a beautiful week. And with that, Ben, welcome to the show. So we have Ben Easter on the podcast. He is my personal business coach, and I'm so excited to get into your story. I feel like you told me when you onboarded me your story on a high level. And I do like this podcast is to get into the guest's story, their trajectory, how they like figured this out for themselves. So I would love to first, before we get into the journey, start off with what was Ben Easter like as a kid? I'm actually really curious. I've never asked you that question before. Yeah. And it's really interesting to think about it because you probably remember that I had a head injury when I was 19. Mm -hmm. And so memory is like a little shaky prior to that point. Like I had some serious memory loss. I had some serious like personality loss, things like that. I can remember like glimpses and, you know, images, but what I do remember being like as a kid was I was always a really weird kid. You know, I was the kid that was eating ants and stuff like (laughs) anything, anything to like get attention and, you know, but not like the positive attention, just like anything that I could figure out to get attention. I was like really smart. And I think I was a little isolated because of that. I didn't always like know, like reading at a 12th grade level by like second grade. I was like, because my mom always trained me on books. Like that was like what my life was. So I think I felt a little bit isolated. I could really have easy conversations with adults. And they were always saying like so precocious and wow, he's like so mature for his age. But I think that was also kind of like really isolating for my friend group. So there was kind of always like a little bit of a longing for a long time. And then I found theater when I was young and longing was, for oh, what? connection and like attention, meaning like some kind of positive attention, some kind of positive regard. I didn't have like much of a peer group when I was younger. I had friends, but not, I had like one like really close friend when I was a kid, Katie Meanhouse, where Katie, if you ever hear this, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So I, you know, I, then I found theater when I was a little bit older, like maybe seven or eight. And I was like, Oh my God, people will pay attention to you. You'll go on stage. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. Like I just like kind of shaped the next decade of my life. Like did a lot of training, did every stage play that I could do. Ultimately like had this awakening moment when I was in about to graduate from high school. And I like had this experience where I don't know how what your what your listenership is like, but you know there was there were drugs involved, <laughs> and I had this, this. Just say the truth. Our listeners just like they are no BS. Like just say the truth. Yeah, 
I took mushrooms for the first time, went out on the beach with some friends in high school. And uh, like I had been an atheist. I had been like really like just kind of really strongly minded that there was no such thing as God or anything higher than us, that like this was it. And it wasn't a really like great person, honestly. I was hanging out with some really bad dudes at that time. And I was like kind of following that same pattern, like trying to get their attention, trying to like be, you know, cool with them. And so I was like kind of a bully in high school. And then I had this experience where I went out to the beach with these friends and we ate mushrooms and I just remember like having everything change from that moment where I like realized what people were talking about when they were talking about God and that it wasn't this like dude in the clouds setting laws and rules, but it was like this interconnectedness of all life and this like this oneness of being. I have this like phrase that I say, all my friends have heard me say this, there's only one of us here because I really do, do believe that like the thing that is looking out from your eyes is like the thing that's looking out from my eyes. There's like literally only one being in existence. And that thing like takes, plays lots of roles to take time really is what it comes down to. When you've got eternity, we play all the roles. Every part is part of the thing, you know? Like I said, I was a bully. I was, and I remember having this experience. And then like, it was maybe two weeks later, I, w- I was hanging out with them and my f- core f- group of friends. And then uh, these two other guys Taylor and Jeremy were, were here. And I would remember I was, we were in Gabe's room. They were all sitting on the bed and these two were sitting on this love seat over here. And I was sitting on the one single chair in the room that was between the two of them. And I remember like watching back and forth, looking back and forth between these two groups of guys. And the one group was, they were, they were funny, but they were always like, every joke was at someone's expense. It was like always a dig at somebody. And then these guys, Taylor to this day is the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life. He's the guy that taught me to play the guitar, taught me to improv sing on, you know, like, just like let music flow out of me. Seriously, hilarious dude. And the thing that I was noticing was that they were the funniest people ever, like in school, they were the funniest people in school and all their jokes were never at anyone's expense. They were always just like a way of looking at the world that was just so bizarre (laughs) that you like couldn't help but laugh because just thinking of the world in those terms would be hilarious. So it was like a way of, I just remember this moment of like realizing that I didn't want to hang out with these people anymore. Like I just couldn't, I didn't, it wasn't real for me anymore. And that I wanted to hang out with these guys, started up a really fast friendship with them. Kind of that was like this transformational moment in my life. I remember. I have a question and I don't know if you've ever like sat with this for a really long time to understand where it comes from. Cause first of all, I can relate not really so much to like bullying stuff, but like feeling like, trying to just fit in wherever I could. And like, I really can relate to like that feeling of wanting to be seen. Where do you think that that stems from for, for you? I don't know. I think, I, I mean, going back to the, the thing that's looking out, right? Like, I think that the, the core game that we're here playing is a connection game. We've created a world where we don't remember that we're the same, right? And that's by intention. And then the game is like to reconnect with ourselves. You know, so I think that the attention seeking thing is like a fundamental drive in all humans, in all beings, honestly, is that we're really just like looking to like remember for a flash that we're the same, <laughs> you know, or that there's like there's love between us is what it were, some people's word for it is or, you know. It's actually really interesting. I've never put these two things together, but a lot of the people that have had on Active Ingredient share this. There's, th- there's this common thread of like being younger and feeling like they, could, they didn't fit in. There wasn't a place for them and they felt like they weren't seen. And they, they like looked for it in so many different external places until they found it within themselves. Like that is literally the through line. So I think that that's yeah. super spot on. Like that's one of those manifestations of that deep connection. Would you say that that's like the reigning one? That is like what is all of our like driving force 
I think that what we want to connect with is different though. I tend to value connection higher than most other things. And so I think like I, through my lens, I see connection as being like the thing that everybody's seeing. But, but when I really think about it, like philosophically, I think everybody's here to do the thing that they're here to do from this perspective. This was like the big awareness for me was like, I always had this story of like, I don't know, the reason that I was having such a hard time swallowing the God story was because it's like all good, all knowing all powerful and it's like then where does the evil come from like what's the what how does that even enter into the equation that was i was really stuck on that when i was a kid and i remember realizing that like if there's only one of us here you actually can't do evil because you'd be doing it against yourself and like you'd be like kind of a willing participant my thing with like good and not to cut you off but like my thing yeah. with good and bad person like even that like super black and white thought to me it's like I know that you and I have talked about this, like exactly what you're saying, that all of us, it's just one, we're one, right? Yeah. That one thing is whole truth, infinite intelligence, infinite abundance, all that stuff, right? Yeah. And in our humanness, we have choice. So huh. we can either choose truth or choose not truth, emptiness, whatever, like people can call it mm-hmm. evil or whatever, you know? But like, it, yeah. it's like, to me, in my mind, it's like, you can either choose the actual truth of who you are, which is that you come from wholeness, oneness, abundance, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or you can choose to not choose truth. Those are the two choices. So then the experience, like the seer could be seeing a life of not choosing truth or a life of choosing truth, which is abundance because it is Mm -hmm. coming from abundance. Right. But I think that people get so stuck in like, this is a good act or this is a bad act, but people get stuck on just like feeling into their bodies and being like, what feels true, what feels whole and choosing that. I want to reiterate that message on this podcast in as many, many forms as I can, because I've gotten stuck there so many times in my life and like coming from a Catholic background and coming from like these things that are so black and white, it's so limiting. And I know that so much work that you do is on working on these limiting beliefs. And that was one of those big ones for me that was like, it changed, it changed everything for me because when I just realized like, there's nothing to fear within me because I am already truth. I I was born truth. It is my birthright to be truth. And so it's just going Hallelujah. of that. <laughs> yeah. And anytime I say good or bad, yeah. I'm going to put them in, I'm going to put it in air quotes because that's just the point. Like if we're playing this cosmic game with ourselves for eternity, it really isn't a good or bad, a right or a wrong, an evil or, you know, a holy. And this, by the way, I think this is like really cool because we take these like physical forms. And so my physical form is different than your physical form. And we have like different I, I like the example of taste because taste doesn't have like a moral judgment, but like we have different flavors that we appreciate as in our physical form. And so then too, wouldn't we have different flavors of experience that we would, I mean, that, that is literally just a kind of experience is taste, right? So smells and sounds and sights, and then like take it all together and kind of this meta like version of experience. And don't we also have different tastes in what we like to experience? Totally. In the world? And so then when we're talking about good or bad or right or wrong, what we're really meaning, I think, is we're saying to ourselves, that thing is in alignment with this, this incarnation, this body, this personality. Mm-hmm. I can say good. And what I mean is like the things that I value and that are important. Totally, to me, totally. Right. Yeah. Where we um, get confused is like when people are like, it's objective. It's outside of our subjective. It's like good or bad are things that are like out there. And it's like, really show me where or is it written? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Totally, totally, totally. Okay. I want to continue this. You you kind of like have given us like a little bit of where you're at. This is pre-head injury. So I would love to hear what happened with your head injury. 
so I had this experience where I had this awakening. And then the very next year at college, I had another drug experience. And on that one, things got really real. I happened to be on uh, probation at the time. It's a long story. But I, I got like really paranoid while I was having this, this experience. And I, I remember just like really coming face to face with this fear that was holding me back. It was like every time I would have this like awakening kind of moment, I would have this experience where there would be like a resistance or there would be some kind of fear holding me back. And this, it was a very metaphorical experience. It's acid. I don't know if anybody's experienced it, but there was, there were a lot of like symbols happening in my like actual world and they were meaning things to me, you know, like a door is a symbol for like humans have environments that we like to have. And then the door is what regulates that environment. We let things in or out that we want, we can choose. And having all these experiences, I was really worried, you know, about the police showing up and there being this kind of experience. And I realized that this fear was like holding me stuck, that I wasn't actually able, because every time I would get on this brilliant idea, like some fear thought would come up. And so I was like, well, I got to get past this fear because if I can't get past the fear, I'm never going to be able to come up with anything beautiful and you know, alive in me. And so then I was like, well, how do I get past fear? I, I guess I just have to face the fear. So what am I afraid of? I'm worried that my life's going to go down the drain and everything's going to be awful. And then I like, so I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just face that. And I went into the bathroom because, you know, everything was symbolic. And I was like trying to go down the bathtub drain. <laughs> that didn't oh work. My God. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, uh, I, I walked out, you know, I had all these friends here and I was like, fuck this. I threw open the door. I was like, I'm going to jail. And my buddy Taylor actually, who I was I just mentioned was in the room at the time. And he was like, Hey man, just don't kill yourself. And I was like, that's the fear that's at the bottom of every fear is death. Fuck that. I'm doing it. And I turned and jumped. I was ironically wearing my Superman shirt <laughs> at the time. So I jumped off the second story balcony, landed on concrete on my head. And I don't remember I woke up in the hospital. God, my poor friends who had to deal with that. And I woke up in the hospital and I'd had this major massive brain injury. And uh, I had damaged the left temporal region of my brain, which turns out, amongst other things, processes like language, social interactions, like my ability to understand people and hear people so close to the ear that, I, you know, I didn't know for a long time that these parts have been damaged. The doctors were like, you know, you're not going to walk again for months and you'll probably you'll never be yourself again. And I was like, you know, with all the rambunctious and rebellious nature of a 19 year old man, I was uh, I was like, boy, I was like, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, doctors. I'm going to like take care of my own recovery. And I like I worked really hard on it. And after like six weeks, I was up and walking again. And I considered myself to have made a full recovery. And then it was like maybe months, four months after that, that I was at dinner with my grandmother, who I trusted with my whole heart, who said something kind of like, you know, like, kind of like how you've been since your accident. And I was like, what do you mean? How I've been since my accident? I made a full recovery. And she's like, no, you stutter and you have these big pauses in your language and you don't always understand what people are saying. You don't know this. And I was like, like I just, I remember being like, really, it was really hard for me to hear that because I really had thought that I had made this full recovery. And I just like, remember feeling so insecure about that because if there was something so big that this person who's known me my whole life can see it so obviously, and I have no idea, literally none that it was going on. Like, how could I trust myself to go into any situation in any interaction? And so I like really, rather than like feeling motivated, like I had been before that I was going to recover. I like really withdrew. I got super depressed, got really isolated, thought about suicide a lot. Cause like people were so important to me. And now I felt more scared than I had ever been to interact with. And I people. can't think of anything scarier that you like, you think that you're fine. And then the people that know you and love you are like, you're completely different than what you know. You touched on something that really strikes a chord with me with is the, which is the trust of the self. 
one of the biggest things I also want to talk about on this podcast, but like the fact that, I mean, and most people don't have these head injuries and like, this is a very specific type of example. I think that like most of us struggle with that. I hear you. And I'm like that to me, like I understand. And you, a person who like craves connection so much damages the part of your brain that literally tells you like, this is how you listen to people, AKA cornerstone of connection. And this is how you socialize cornerstone of connection. I understand. Like how, how did you go from that depressive dark state that a lot of people, if not most people are in, because they don't think that they have a way out. You, someone who had an actual brain injury, which is something that could actually really throw someone off course. And maybe they will never recover from, but how for anyone listening who may be in that super dark place that they're like, what the fuck is the point? If I can never achieve these things within me that I want so desperately, what was that moment for you? there were parts of my brain that were fine. Like it was so weird because it was such a specific part. So like my schoolwork didn't suffer at all. I continued to get like straight A's. My business, I was like selling weed back before it was cool. And like that blew up. This was actually when like I had this injury and now it became like my sole focus. And so like I was doing really well. It was like my very first like successful business. So there were these areas that were like really working for me. Like I went to, I was going to Kung Fu like all the time, really practicing, like deliberately doing the same thing over and over again. And I think I was also studying like a psych- anything that was interesting to me, like lots of religion, lots of philosophy, lots of psychology stuff. I was just like, was fascinated in these things. And I, I remember learning about neuroplasticity, which is the, the brain's ability to kind of reform itself after like a, a traumatic injury or really just to like kind of grow new connections as you're older is it yeah. heal and grow okay yeah not necessarily healing it, it just is neuroplasticity it's the ability for neurons to like kind of reshape themselves as we get older but it can show up in brain injuries then i had a friend introduce me to social dynamics i was super lonely that was like was really motivating me in this i was like i wanted to have a girlfriend more than anything else and i like introduced me to this book the game penetrating the secret society of pickup artists. And I was like, mm, no, thanks. That sounds gross. I'm like, not interested in that at all. And he like, he kept on for a while. He was my roommate. So that we had lots of conversations about it. He kept tra- And finally, one day he was like, what if you read it just so you could argue with me about it? And I was like, all right, I see, what you, I see what you're doing there. He's still one of my best friends to this day. But anyway, so I started, I realized from that book, what I realized is that social skills are just that they're skills. And if I could get myself to do the practice then I could redevelop the skills, right? I had, I had picked them up kind of naturally, which is honestly, I didn't do that great a job. Remember, I had these, these friends that I, like my social skills had been picked up with bullying and all this shit. So, so I, I was like, I set out to do it. I, like, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, the alternative is I'm going to kill myself anyway. So I might as well give it one last go before. So I, I like started to do anything, I, anything I could get my hands on, I would read. I really was leveraging the parts of my brain that were still working. And this is the, this is the thing that the insight that I just had in this conversation is that I was using the parts that were strengths to kind of move through this part that was a weakness for me. So I like, I was still able to study really well. So I was studying all the time. Like I really dedicated myself to this. I was still able to practice like the Kung Fu. And so I was like, what if I just treated it like Kung Fu? And I, you know, you suck the first time you do something in Kung Fu, you're going to suck for a long time at it. You just keep doing it over and over again until you really get it. And I was like, cool. What if I just remember like having this crippling social anxiety and standing at the bottom of the down escalator to get over this social anxiety and asking every single woman out for coffee. Do you want to go get coffee? No. Do you want to go get coffee? No. Honestly, it is, it is fascinating. And it's, it's again, what you focus on grows. Like you literally had a brain injury that was stopping a part of your brain from actually functioning. You're identifying the things that are actually working. You're double down on the things that are working for you. And then for the things that are currently like not in its 
the form that you would like it to be, you're like going in without ego being like, I'm literally going to stop at the bottom of this thing and just like do the thing as many times as possible until I'm not scared of it anymore. Right. Which again, remember that was what started the head injury in the first place was facing my fear. Right. And so like, I was like, how can I get over this fear of social anxiety? Like of like approaching people. Cause if you want to get good at talking to people, you have to have conversations with people that you've never met before. It takes the doing like people want these things and they're like, and I'll wait until that. It's like, it takes doing it to do that. Like exactly. so many people are stuck there and it's like, it takes doing it to do it. Exactly. That's one of the biggest things. And, and remember, and this, I think is like a cool, like little hack, which is the point of that exercise was not to get coffee with somebody. The point of that exercise was to get a hundred no's. That was when the exercise was concluded was when I got a hundred no's, which happened consecutively. <laughs> but, but the thing, the reason that that is so useful is because then here I am at the end of a hundred no's. Okay. And I really love this exercise, by the way. And if anybody has any social anxiety, go try this exercise. You'll know. Cause here's the thing. One, I never saw any of those people before or after. It was as though they were simulations in the video game for me just to do this exercise, okay? Literally never saw any of them before or after. And here I am alive at the end of it. Like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm okay if I get a hundred no's. And the other piece of it was that I loved was that I really got the sense for this, like literally infinite flow of people. There was no end to the number of people that I could ask this escalator is such a cool metaphor because it's just like they're continually coming down the escalator to you. And so like just realizing that there are seven upwards of almost 8 billion people on the planet, you could never meet all of them. You could never fuck it up with all of them. So go fuck it up. Like try fail spectacularly. Who cares? You're literally never going to see them again. And that was in Tallahassee, Florida, where there's like not a huge population. Somewhere did I, did like I tell York, you that I went to FSU? What no, mall is this? Yeah. What mall is this? You know, I don't really remember the name of the mall, but it was the one that was like the, the happy trail for the Capitol building. I think, yeah, there's only one mall. Wait, oh my God, that is so funny. I am, I'm dead. I'm like picturing that mall and you at the bottom of the escalator. That is an incredible metaphor. I actually, I, I interviewed Rebecca Minkoff really early on this podcast and she said something that's very like along these lines. For the people that are listening, because I don't really fall so much under like numbers, but this specific, like, I'm not like a numbers person and like data is not the thing that drives me, but a lot of people listening, that might be the thing that like helps them actually understand things. And what you're saying right now falls under the same thing, but she says in the beginning when no one knew her, no one knew her name, no one knew like what she was up to. She was just trying to get her product in stores. She just looked at it as a math equation. And she was like, I, I just like went out and I just started asking as many people as I, as I could. And I took an inventory track on how many people I had to ask to get the one. Yes. So she was like, in the beginning, it took me 1000 asks to get one. Yes. So to me, it was just a math equation. Like I might, I didn't feel like shit about it. I just knew that it was 1000 asks for one. Yes. So just going into it with that mentality and expecting 1000 no's to get the one. Yes. Yes. And it's brilliant. And see what something really cool happens when, when you take that mindset is that, as you start to, that's only for the first yes, it takes a thousand no's. But once you've shown up and done that work for a while and you can like, you're like, you know what? Like this interaction doesn't really matter that much. Now you get to start to free up your personality a little bit because you don't actually care what they, whether you get a yes or a no anymore. And so now you can actually start to use your, your active ingredient a little bit was what I said. It's so funny. Like it, it blipped on the, on the title of the podcast. Like, Let's get it. <laughs> But, you know, so you start to really like actually your odds go up a lot. The more comfortable you are with yourself, the less like you're chasing a no. And we know this like from like the more spiritual side of things, like the more you're in that like want mode and like need, the more like we're going to find absence. 
Yeah. But the more comfortable we get with the no, the more relaxed we get with it, then like the more likely we are to get a yes. So the numbers actually tend to go up pretty drastically. But if you're committed to getting the thousand no's to get the one yes, like that's the mindset right there. Oh, okay. So you've had so many different career paths before this one that it seems to me and like life is infinite. Like it can go so many ways, but it actually does feel like when I work with you, like you are so present and it feels like you're in such alignment. How did you get to this point? Like starting off selling weed to then now, and you think you had like seven different businesses in between or something? Yeah, this is my seventh counting that. Well, actually eight, eight, if you count my very first coaching business. If you could give me like high level of like all of those things and like maybe not go into super detail on each of them, but I, I, I do want to hear them all. And like for people to understand the delayed gratification of someone who is currently living in their active ingredient that took eight businesses to get here. Yeah. Like I want to make this point. Yeah. Okay, really cool. Clear. The way that I look at it is that each business was like a little breadcrumb on the trail of like what I really love and wanted to do. The weed business honestly was like a blast for me because it was a product that people wanted. I got really creative with the marketing around it. Like I would like sponsor normal meetings and then they would like just refer me business. And like, there was this real word of mouth thing. I had like a whole setup. It was very like high class. I had three grades and I would come and I would like deliver them. And, you know, anyway, so it was like a really fun business to learn like the marketing aspect of it and to really like get the hang of marketing and realize that I actually really like marketing. I'm really interested in that and the, the business side of that. And the numbers, God, I loved running the numbers. I would just like be laying in my bed knowing them, but just running numbers. And I had like, cool, what's the investment going to look like? And then how many do I have to sell? And what are my like, what are my peaks and valleys? What's the potential? What if I sold it all wholesale? What if I sold it all in dime bags? Like, how does it all work? You know, I'm like running the numbers in my mind. Um, so I remember like really loving that piece of, of the business side of it as well. And then I like, I had a, a concierge business and an odd jobs and errand business. And I call, I thought of these as throwaway businesses. The point of them was to learn legitimate business. Like how do I register a business? How do I pay taxes? Like what are all the legal ramifications? What are the accounting ramifications? Didn't love the marketing of them. Didn't love the work of them. Honestly, it was like hard work. And you know, what I was doing was still training. So I would be doing physical labor and then I'd be like listening to, cause I was still really in the learning of my social skills at this point. So it was like finding, and by the way, finding ways to get paid to do what you want to do. And what is like, what life hack? Because I was also ser like serving to kind of like make ends meet. I was learning sales strategy and like social strategy at the same time. Like, you know, you, want, you have like an escalator of tables that are coming in where you just get to go like meet people and say hi. I want to pause on this because I think you're hitting on yeah. something super, super important. People get so stuck on it being like the job. Can you define what you just explained? Because you just said the unlock is finding something that you can get paid for the skills that you already like want to be doing or whatever. That does not necessarily yeah. mean it needs to be the job that's paying you six, seven, eight figures. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the job that has this like logo on it. Like, what do you mean by that? Because I think that that's so important. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So like everybody gets, gets really hung up on, there's like the freedom number, which is where we get to live the life doing whatever the fuck we want to do. And I'm like very grateful to be in that place now in my life, but to get there, like people who play, who have played video games sometimes will understand this. Like if you're playing a video game that has like an investment component to it, like in the beginning, you're just like working your ass off to get scratch together. You have to survive. You have to be able to buy the things that are letting your character move on. And then once you have just a little bit extra, if you invest that, then you can keep doing what you were doing. And now you also have the investment income that's coming in so that you're like gaining a bit more and then you can buy more assets or whatever within the game. 
So this is how I kind of think about like this era of my life. It's like I was getting paid. All of my businesses made enough that I could survive on. And then I was like also working as a server because I really I wanted to be practicing the skills. Yeah, I, I needed some way to be like actively like forcing myself to go do the approaches to get to know people to like be able to work on my charm and skills and all that stuff. What I didn't realize was that I was actually like going to school to learn to sell as well while all that was going on. That I didn't learn that until a week and a half ago, two weeks. Just being able to keep the engine going, keep the body going, okay, while learning the skills that are most important to you. It's not, it's, that's not your freedom phase. You got to build the skills to get to your freedom phase, to feel like entitled to be there right now. My, my thing is prove it. If you can't prove it to yourself in the physical world, then you haven't built the skills yet. You just haven't gotten there yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment about that. But like build the skills and, and you'll see you'll your bank account will reflect it. Your business will reflect it. Your time will reflect it. Your social network will reflect it. All these things will reflect it as you're like building the skills. But until you've gotten there, don't be like, well, I just I got to be doing the I got to be living my dream, like doing the free thing until you get there. It's because that's you're putting so much pressure on yourself at that point to do the thing, like find a way to keep feeding the body and have a place to live and sleep while you're developing the skills that you need. And then keep challenging yourself to be on like the leading edge of those skills so that you can keep capitalizing on them somehow. Do you have a question that we can pose to the audience on what those skills are to focus on for themselves? Hmm. Back to this business thing, like I was doing a lot of these things just to try to figure out how to make money. That was an error that I was, I didn't know I was making at the time, but like a lot of these businesses were like, okay, how can I figure out how to like make money? And so that I would work, they would work to make money. But that actually wasn't super useful to me because I was hating what I was doing. I was feeling drained at the end of the day, like chasing that part of it was really tricky. You know, like I loved the marketing, you know, I loved the business piece. I didn't love the manual labor piece so much, but I loved the being able to use my mind part. Okay, cool. So like I'm collecting these these little breadcrumbs as I'm moving my way through these various businesses. Then I was like, oh, I feel like I'm called to be a healer. I was doing all this self-reflection work and I was like, man, I just feel like, but like medicine, like the way that the West does it, I don't really like it, but I've been doing Kung Fu for like almost a decade at this point. And so going to, when I went to grad school for Chinese medicine, it was because I was like, oh, I want to do healing and I want to use this thing that I've been practicing for so long that I love so much. I really love Chinese medicine, by the way, but it wasn't quite right for me. It was so close. It was the closest that I've ever been. And by the way, the bank account showed it because like, as I I found this thing where I was like really helping people, people were coming out of the woodworks to start to work with me. And I was like doing a really good job for them. And like, I had a full business, but I was feeling drained at the end of the day and not really loving the work. And so I started to reflect on what parts I did. And at this point, I met my first mentor who is a a dating and relationship coach in Denver, Clayton Olson. He's fantastic. We started talking and then I started to conceive of what he was doing. And I was, oh, he's doing like the helping part, but without the like physical body part. Oh, that sounds really good. (laughs) Like I really like the idea of that. But to go back to the question that you asked, that's why I'm I'm saying like, be careful. Like, yeah, any skills are going to be fine. And if they feel good for you, like, if you feel like you really want to develop a skill, fuck yeah. I mean, that's probably something about the taste of this physical form that you have that's kind of leading you toward what your active ingredient is. And spend time in that direction. That's the thing that I would advise people before you like set out to pick up skills necessarily. I mean, look, there's no downside to picking up skills, but 
spend time in reflection. What are the things that you already love doing? What are the things that are already alive? Like this question you asked, what were you like as a kid? Like, what do you love doing in the world? What really lights you up? Where do you start to feel a lifting of your energy when you're doing them? Before you craft a goal for your life or some kind of outcome that you're looking for, spend time in reflection of that. What, who am I here? What do I love to do? What are the things that I would do them whether I was getting paid or not, the things that I really like, really enjoy doing. And now use that as a bed of a fertile bed for the the plant of your future to grow out of. Right. I love what you're saying. It's literally my overarching message for this year, double down on what works and what like already exists within you that, you know, to be true for you and scale back things that don't feel as whole. My question is for people that are currently employed and need to be making that income to survive, which so many people are in that position or to pay rent or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like they're within this role and they're identifying, this is what I like about it. This is what really drains me. And I don't want to do this anymore. What's the next step from there? Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who is currently listening to this podcast is in a role, they've done an inventory check on what works and what doesn't work. There's one kind of cool idea that I think the innovation of which your your boss would probably really appreciate, which is if you can identify the things that are like really yours to do, they're like, they're easy, effortless. Chances are you do them quickly. You get them done really well, right? you're, You're effective at them, right? And they take you less time than they take other people to do, right? Well, that's a really useful asset to a business to have somebody who's doing that doing work that they're really aligned with. And so thinking of roles less as like this list of responsibilities, some of which you love, some of which you hate, and more as like these things that need to be done for a business in order for a business to succeed, right? And like really getting clear on not what are the activities that you're doing that are important to the business, but what are the outcomes that you're producing for the business? And starting to think on this level is A, going to do your boss's job for them a lot of times. Like your boss probably has not, I mean, maybe they have, but very few bosses have done this kind of thinking, like not what are the activities that I want my people to be doing that would prove that they're getting the outcomes, but literally what are the outcomes that we're trying to produce? Because the faster you can figure out how to produce those outcomes, and this is uh, for our work week, uh, Tim Ferriss really talks about this kind of an idea. Like what are the essential things that are this role is producing? And then how can you get those things done with as little effort as possible right? Because that's going to be an asset to your, your boss, right? And if you're thinking in this way, you can make a deal. Like, look, if there's parts of your job that you hate, maybe you can hire somebody else to, to do the, just those parts. And now you free up, because again, remember, we're spending more of our time doing those things than we are for the things that we're really producing outcomes, mm-hmm. right? And that is a cost. That's a, if it's a cost to you, it's also a cost to your boss. Your bo- Remember, if your boss is paying you 100% of your salary or whatever, and you're spending 60% of it doing a thing that you're only kind of half-assing even when you're doing it and you're always putting it off and it's always like, it's always coming last and it's always taking you a long time to do, right? If we cut that and they still pay you the same salary, but now you're doing twice as much of the thing that is creating a real impact, that they're getting twice the benefit, right? For the same salary. So that's really in their best interest. Let's build a case because that's what we're really doing. And sales is such a useful skill set, by the way. There's some meta skills that if you wanted to spend some time learning them, it'd be right. really useful. One of, one of them is sales. If you can learn how to, how to listen for what's important to somebody and communicate at the level of what they're, what's important to them, 
And chances are you'll be able to get more of what you want in the world, right? So thinking like a business owner like this and thinking of like, what are the benefits that they're getting from employing me? And how can I turn the volume up on those benefits while also turning down the volume on the things that I don't like about it? It winds up being good for the whole system. We're not trying to like bait and switch somebody. We're really like, that's useful for a business. This is also leading into being a business owner. T.R. Becker in Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, he talks about what if you just approached your boss and said, hey, I want to be a contractor. You don't have to pay my benefits anymore. I'm going to take that on because a contractor can now also do what you're doing for them, for other people, and also be in control of what you're doing. And so then like negotiating for what are the deliverables of a contractor, a lot of times for a business, it makes perfect sense because they can wind up paying less to you for the same amount of outcomes, you wind up netting more, not only because you have more time available to you, but also because you get to take business deductions now that you weren't able to take before. Like there's a lot of tax benefits for it, mm-hmm. but without getting, without getting too complicated, really just thinking of like, you are actually already a contractor selling your time to a business. We just have like an employee uh, arrangement. That's not something that I, I feel like so many people don't really understand that. And I'm not saying that people like, there are a lot of things about running your own business that is not for everyone. I totally get it. But this thing that people say that I'm like, you're not understanding. Like people are like, oh, the safety of working for a company. There's like a security, there's all this stuff. And I'm like, you have one client. You have one client. client All my eggs in one basket. (laughs) You have one client. I understand that there's security and that you're getting this paycheck consistently, but you have one client. And again, like, I'm not saying for every single person that like, doesn't want, there are a lot of logistical things and it's managing people. And it's like, there are a lot of things that are like, people should know that they're, it, it's not easy in a walk in the park, but you have one client when you're working for an, for a company, you can have however many clients you want when you're working for yourself, that like tiny little like mindset thing of like, oh, like I'm housed in this place of security. It's like, no, they can literally, you're an at will employee, like they can literally, you can, your one client can drop you and then you'll be out of a job in the next two weeks if they're mm-hmm. kind. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it be, that's why they call it golden handcuffs or whatever. Right. Too. Like if you're, you're trapped. It's just a mindset. It's just like a, how can the person feel safe? I guess is like, but the, the people are just looking for that safety feeling, I think. And it's like, to me, knowing that I'm like, that's way less safe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's brilliant. But a lot, you know, we're, it's a difficult story to parse from the narratives that exist around us to realize that that's going on. Okay. So you're now a business coach. You were a relationship coach now focusing on business. You have truly opened my mind. And I know that you're always like, cause I'm always like, he's a magician and you're like, no, like you're the one doing the work. And I, I appreciate you reminding me of that. You have this like incredible way of being a really loud mirror that it's like, once I see it, you can't unsee it. How did you develop that skill? Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And one that I think is probably pretty complicated to answer, but I'll try to sum it up. It's cool that you've gotten the whole story now at this point, because like I had this, this awareness that like God was a new kind of thing that I could realize I was essentially. Mm -hmm. And then from there, like I just dove into like, what does it mean to be human? Like, what is, how do I maximize myself? And so like, even before I was studying the social stuff, I was like studying about thinking and about like learning and how do we like use our, our minds to get what we want. And what does it mean to explore what it means to be me as a human, not you as a human. Right. And so like doing a lot of that work as well as the social work, I mean, social work is so important, like understanding our social skills in the context of skills. And that like, we can just keep leveling up our social skills and that that lets you 
because social skills are this outsized ability, because if you can convince other people in some way to help you, you have now doubled your time and then tripled your time. And then, you know, you can expand your network. And if you have a group of people that all love you and wish you well and want to support you, then all of a sudden, like there's this outsized power thing that happens in your ability to impact the world. That is not to be overstated, the, the, like the time that I was in the deliv deliberate learning of that and practicing of that skill is like so powerful because as we're understanding what motivates other people, we're understanding what motivates ourselves. And like really like I had this metaphor for, for Tai Chi, basically, when you're when you're first starting Tai Chi, you're like watching somebody else's and you're trying to make your body do what their body is doing. So you're like, focus on your outsides, right? But as you do that, and as you've like focused on your outsides, now you can, you have access to starting to understand what your insides are doing. You have to start with the outside part because otherwise you have no frame of feeling the insides at all. But once you've done the outside and you can imitate what somebody else is doing in their outsides, now you can start to feel what it feels like on your insides. That does a really cool thing because now as I really start to master my insides, I can master your insides. I can start to see what's happening on your insides and where like where your energy is, where your center is and all that stuff. And it's all through listening. But without having done first the, the imitation and the listening on my outsides to develop my own insides and then to be able to like notice how my insides are reflected in your insides, like it just it won't work to jump right into somebody else's insides. So I don't know if that helps to, for you to kind of understand how I it think does. about it. It does. If someone's starting at baseline and like step one is to focus on the outsides, like what is that first breadcrumb, I guess, or what is that first? Imitate before you innovate. Imitate before you innovate. Find someone else who is doing the thing that you want to do. Watch them. Like, study. like every, study every them. kid. Study what? them. Yes, yeah, study them. Study exactly. them. And people get so, this is like where like, I want to be clear that this is not comparison or jealousy or anything like that. Cause I, a lot of people, I have found myself in that situation where it's like, mm -hmm. at first, like before I was like, so conscious, I guess I would just like, be like, oh my God, I'm so annoyed. Like they like have everything that I want or like, this is like, oh my God, this is the exact thing that I want or life that I want or whatever. If you can just switch that, there's actually something in them that reminds you of you already. And instead of comparing yourself and like wanting to judge them and that being the inclination, it's actually reflecting something very, very raw in you that you want for yourself. So studying them. And having that energy of respecting the hell out of them and mm -hmm. studying what they have done is so powerful and wishing yeah. them well. Absolutely. It's, again, infinite. Like the, it, the well, abundance. because you're, you're talking about yourself. If you're not wishing them well in, in the situation that they're in, yes. then you're literally not wishing yourself well in that situation. Totally. But I'm saying like, if the first step that we're telling people is imitate before you innovate, like yeah. I, so many people that are in like baseline zone, like where I a hundred percent was, you can easily fall into a comparison drop. So I just wanted to call that out because it's not, yeah. we're not saying compare or like to try to be someone else. It's like study someone else. Model them. Model them. Sure. Yeah. Create a model in your mind of what they're doing and try to imitate that as close as you can until you can get consistent results. Again, it's like like going to kung fu, right? Like it's nice. It's nice to take sometimes a metaphor because it can kind of just like take away the some of the hard emotions that are happening. If I'm going to a kung fu class, I'm watching the teacher. I'm not like comparing myself to that teacher. Like, oh, I suck because I haven't, you know, I, I can't do this thing. It's like, no, that teacher is a black belt. Like my belt is white. I haven't, I haven't developed the skills over time the way that they have. I'm not. I can't actually accurately compare myself to this person because they started in a different time in a different place, right? 
but they can do the thing that I want to be able to do. So the closer that I can watch them and imitate what they're doing until I can get the consistent result that they're getting, that is going to speed up my practice tremendously. So I don't have to figure it out on my own. I can watch somebody else who's already figured it out. And this, by the way, we all do this back when we have a 100% success rate in learning to walk. Everybody learns to walk if you have the equipment to learn to walk, right? 100% success rate. And it's not an inconsequential skill. It's like actually really difficult to learn to walk, but everybody learns to do it. Why? Well, because we, we don't say, oh, all these people are walking and I'm still here on my butt. I guess I'm just not a walker, <laughs> right? Like we don't do that. We watch what other people are doing. We try our damnedest. We keep falling over and we always get up one more time than we fall. That's, a, that's the formula for success. I like the Tai Chi example because- our culture specifically with like the delayed gratification thing, I'm bringing it up one more time because if we can all remember that like you can be a white belt and like someone else is a black belt and they have 10 years experience on you. But like, because we're in like this Amazon prime lifestyle, we think that like black belt yesterday. Right. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how do you yeah. practice delayed gratification, especially in this realm of life? Because it's like, there's so many other areas that like our brain is already so accustomed to it. Like how can you yeah. actively seek out and expect delayed gratification? Well, I don't necessarily think of it like as delayed gratification, but the way that I would frame it up to myself is like, is it, is this thing that you're the path that you're on, is it important enough for you that you're willing to experience some negative emotions around it? Like, is this thing important enough for you to fuck it up? Because part of the formula for succeeding at something is failing at something. You literally can't do it without like we think that we could just like, if only I knew the right things to do, then I would just never fail and I would get to success. But that's literally, it's baked into our learning process, failure. Like we fall over because we don't have the muscles that we need to walk. So when we fall over and we push ourselves back up, we get stronger and that helps us to walk, right? Do it enough times. And now your, mu your muscles are strong enough that you can walk around and stand on one leg and bounce around. Is the, the outcome that you're looking for, is it worth it? Is it important enough to you that you're willing to fall over because there is literally no way to do it without falling over? And if you're the like, no, I'm naturally good at these things. I promise you you're not because I can kick every baby's ass. <laughs> not because I'm inherently better at things than babies, but because they have not developed any skills. Nobody comes onto this planet with skills. Babies are worthless <laughs> for a long time. And then they just unabashedly practice things. So if you can get yourself back to that place where you're unabashedly practicing things, you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to be willing to fall over on your way to do it. So this, like the natural progression of this question is like, okay, fear. I also am curious from everyone that you work with, you work with some incredible people that I will call out probably in the intro that I'm friends with, Great. but for all of these high achievers and all these incredible people that you work with, what do you find to be like the biggest barrier to being in that zone of being a baby at something or like if they like identify something new that they want to go after and it's like what are those first or biggest blocks that we all as human beings face and that you witness within your clients the way that i think of it is identifying with the current state so imagine we've all got a mask on and that mask represents like the present moment in time well, we play this game with ourselves where we identify with the mask, which is like our present moment in time, rather than the being that is experiencing all time. Because if we could really remember what it was like to be a baby, we would know that we've gone through this process hundreds of times in our lives. But we're like, no, no, I am the present moment in time. And like identifying with that rather than with the journey, which is what we really are. We're the journey, not the person. I'm not the body that's in front of you right now. I'm the journey through time, right? Because we only see in three dimensions not four. 
So we don't realize this. And that gets in the way. When we start to identify with this body, with this moment in time, that fucks us all kinds of up. Because we then now we either are or we are not the thing that we want to be, rather than it being a field of infinite potential that can move through time. So so how do you, what, what tools can we give the listeners on how to remember that? Or like, what is like a common fear that comes up that it's like, or like a belief that you see or that you catch people saying, and you're like, well, you're actually wearing a mask and this is just you like not understanding that we're in this infinite realm. Like what, what yeah. are the things that we can be on the lookout or that listeners can be on the lookout? words will reveal our beliefs to us. So if we're noticing the language that we're using, you can sometimes hear these limiting beliefs in it. And so be on the lookout for words like should, have to, can't. Those are like some big ones that you can hear limitations in those. Like if like I should be doing this thing. It's like, no, you fucking shouldn't unless you want something. And then you can do it because you want to, not because you should be doing it, right? Or I have to do this thing. No, there's not a single thing that you have to do. Not one thing. I challenge anyone to come up with one. I have to breathe. No, you don't actually. And if you want to die, actually, breathing is counterproductive. You don't have to breathe. There's lots of ways to figure out how not to breathe. So be honest with yourself. Tell yourself the true story about what's going on in your reality. You don't have to do anything. You want to do certain things. Great. That's a much easier place to come from than this obligation or I have to or should or whatever, right? So be on the lookout for those things because those are clues that that you're limiting yourself with your belief somehow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to have like a million more episodes because like I didn't even ask you like seven of the questions that I had. But anyway, <laughs> what would you say is the active ingredient within you? And it could, it could be something that's a today thing or something that you've identified within yourself that is what makes you come alive. Like, blanket statement, or it could just be like today, this is what makes you come alive. But what would you say is your, your active ingredient? Yeah, I think active ingredient is such a great way of talking about this thing. I I tend to think of it as values and like clusters of values. And so for me, like the ones that I think of as my values are like authenticity, growth, connection, and play. And the order of those might shift around a little bit as I put them into the soup that is me, but authenticity, like what does it mean for me to like actually be the person that I want to be in any moment? just like a place where I get to exist unabashedly. There's no question that I am who I want to be in any given moment. Sometimes that's going to rub people the wrong way and that's okay. We don't have values alignment maybe. And that's okay too, right? Every, we're all the, the holy divine Godhead incarnate and everybody's doing their thing the way that they're doing their thing. And so like, we're all playing the game the way that we want to. So authenticity, connection, like for me, it's like, it's always about connection. How do, what's going on for you? How do I, that feeling that we get when we look into each other's eyes and, you know, love each other. Growth, cool, challenge. What does it mean for me to like push up against something that I don't know how to do yet and figure it out? I love drilling things, like just finding the thing to do over and over again until I I go from, I can't do it to it's easy for me. And I love that. And then play, play is like, probably my biggest, most core driver. Like I am just like going to be like a little bit, you know, mischievous, a little bit, you know, teasy, bantery, like not taking anything too seriously. And that's like a core ingredient for me. I love that. And I love that you said that it fluctuates depending on what's happening in life. I've tried to like say that messaging here too, that it's like to not feel like you have to hold on to something so much if you're evolving and like something also is like of more importance at a specific yeah. time. Is there anything else that you want to close out the show with that you think could potentially be helpful for someone listening this week that is a seeker? Yeah, just again, focusing on what you love already, that active ingredient question, and then from there, envisioning your future. So like vision without values can fall flat and get you into 
look, I don't want to say trouble because we're all on the journey that we're on, but you'll, you'll speed up your progress the closer you align your vision with what's important to you, with your values or with your active ingredient, if you prefer. So spend time in that vision as often as you can, because that'll activate our reticular activating system. We'll start to notice more opportunities to show up that way. Things will happen the more time you spend in the future version of life where it's already happening. So that would be I love it. Thank you so much. This is literally part one of 50, probably. Seriously, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I really mean it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing in the world. This is really great stuff. I, I honestly, like, I can't believe that this is like, I get to do this. But yeah. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune, and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.